what the successful people do is they use their self-control to break bad habits and establish good habits. Now, habitual actions don't take willpower. That's sort of the beauty of it. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. In this episode of In the Doctor's Chair, I'm joined by renowned social psychologist, Professor Roy Baumeister, who has spent his career exploring how we think about the self and why we feel and act the way we do. In episode one of this two-part podcast, we explore willpower, what it is and why it matters. How do we strengthen self-control and what is the impact of stress on decision-making? When we use self-control to establish good habits and routines, our lives can run smoothly on autopilot, which manages the depletion of energy. We talk about the importance of sleep for the body, mind and self-control, relationships and marriage, living in the present while respecting the future. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So Roy, I'm delighted you're with me here today. And I know from you know reading about your research, you are a real pioneer in the area of willpower. Can you tell me, Roy, your views on willpower, what it is, why it matters, and, and really why it is so important for us as human beings? Well, willpower is the energy used for self-control. Yes. Uh, and self-control, the ability to change yourself and make yourself do things that maybe you don't feel like doing, to resist temptation, to persevere when you're tired. This is one of the greatest and most important strengths that human beings have. Yes. Lots of us feel we wish like we had more, but evolution gave us a lot more than the animals we're, uh, we're, we're descended from. It's really good. And studies have shown over and over that having good self-control predicts all manner of success in life in different careers, better relationships, better health, even living longer. So our contribution to this was to, to find that it, it operates like a strength or a, a limited supply of energy. We hesitated to use the term willpower at don't like to adopt terms from everyday speech because they bring along a lot of baggage. But after a while, we are convinced that no, the everyday expression willpower really does correspond to this, this kind of energy. The core finding that, that started this is that after people exert self-control on, on one task, if another demand for self-control comes along after that, they do worse at it muscle gets tired, and if there's another demand on that same muscle, even seemingly unrelated, then the muscle doesn't perform quite as well as normal. So at the time when we started this work, psychology was all thinking about, oh, the mind is a computer and so on, and notions of energy. I used to joke, uh, they're so far out of fashion, we weren't even against them anymore. 
as luck would have it, biological thinking really came back into psychology in a big way in the around the, the turn of this century, partly because of evolutionary theories and so on. And, and, and biologically, I mean, life is an energy process. So energy suddenly became viable again. So we find the mind has a, a tendency to conserve energy, both in the body and in the brain. And that's probably what underlies that you know, when people exert self-control, then they don't have as much uh, capability if another demand comes along. It's like coming home and being mean to your family after you've had a stressful day at work. I mean, you know you want to use the self-control to be nice to them, to have better relationships, but somehow you're not quite as capable of doing that. I mean, that's one of the really interesting things I've noticed, particularly in the last year with COVID, is how that chronic, I suppose, extra stress people are under has really impacted people's decision-making and their, and, and their mood and their ability to you know, build habits in alignment with, with better health. Do you think that's because it's that stress is impacting on willpower? Well, yes. Now, the stress is highly variable. I remember reading that both marriages and divorces had gone up <laughs> during the lockdown. People living alone thinking, oh, I'm going nuts here. I need to connect with someone. And other people are having stress of contact with their, uh, their family uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That exposes any weaknesses or flaws in the relationship. Others of us are perfectly happy and think uh, the, the lockdown has been actually pleasant and we, we enjoy being with our partner. But one point my friend John Tierney made is that, and Helen Fisher, his, his wife now, is an important anthropological researcher on sexuality, that yes, we evolved as a species to mate over a long period of time to be monogamous, but not to be together 24-7. Mm-hmm. That through the long history of our evolutionary past, the men and women were only together uh, for a few hours a day. As, as, as Tierney puts it, I married you for better or for worse, but not for lunch. <laughs> uh, and so when people suddenly find themselves confined at home with the family around the clock day after day, as I said, that exposes some stresses in the relationship, bringing out then some negative things. Yes, definitely coping with stress takes willpower. You're using the energy to control your temper, to make yourself keep uh, going when you're frustrated or disappointed, just making yourself do things that you don't feel like doing, which is often a big part of stress. Yes, all that depletes the willpower. We also found in an exciting follow-up to this that making decisions tends to drain willpower as well. Mm -hmm. So that after you make a hard, a series of difficult decisions, again, your self-control will will be impaired. So that's something to watch for. It also degrades the decision process when you make a lot of, and as we say, your your, your willpower mm. is depleted. You don't think through decisions as carefully. You don't make them as logically. This is something to know because you can end up making poor decisions that compromise your future in various ways. That's really interesting. And, and I, you know, nowadays people have so much choice whether it's when they do the shopping, there's so many varieties of, of yogurt to choose from. And then when people are looking at social media, there's so much distraction. There's so many potential things to, to use your time and focus on. What impact do you think that's having on people's self-control and willpower? Well, that's hard to speculate about. If you really make the decisions, again, that's going to deplete your willpower more. And the dangers are much greater because of because of all the online options. You can ruin your family budget for the year with a 10-minute online shopping spree. So a momentary lapse in self-control can put you in serious long-term trouble. 
I you know, remember like my grandmother when I was a student in Germany and she was giving me advice. Everything was cash. And she said, well, if there's, you know, I was trying to live on about yes. two or three dollars a day. And she said, well, you write down everything you spend money on that keeps track and you see where the money goes. But also in a, in a cash only environment, when the wallet was empty, <laughs> you couldn't spend anymore. Yes. And that worked for a long period of time. But now with credit cards and online accounts and so on, that safety, that check is gone. So again, the risk is much greater. My aunt was an accountant and she said she had many clients with very nice salaries who were just hugely in debt yes. uh, because of debt, impulsively yielding to temptation, spending without keeping track of what you're spending. You spend and live beyond your means and that, that, that creates, again, a lot more, more stress. Absolutely. I published a paper last year looking at the daily lives of people with good versus bad self-control. And it's not like... People with good self-control have more willpower. I mean, that was the initial thought or the mm -hmm. hypothesis, but we don't find any sign of that in the laboratory. If you assign everyone the same task, regardless of their personality, it affects them the same way. But the people with low self-control outside the laboratory have a lot more struggle because they dig themselves into holes. They maybe say something impulsively and then get an argument with their partner, and that creates more stress even sleeping on the couch and everything and, and domestic fights and so on. They contribute to poor sleep, which is another problem that saps your willpower. They make bad money decisions. They miss deadlines. And all these things then have to be coped with. So mm. there's this escalating cycle of low self-control. It's, it's Again, it's not that you lack the willpower, especially insofar as willpower is tied to your body's energy supply. It's not that they have, have less energy in their bodies. Rather, they don't use it effectively. Yes. And another key insight that, that we came up with a couple of years ago, mm. I was working with some Dutch researchers who were reviewing all the evidence about high and low self-control. And a key, somewhat surprising conclusion was that it, it works very much through habits. Mm. That you know, we think of self-control as, you know, you're sorely tempted to go back on drugs or resume your cigarette addiction or have sex with the wrong person or take a swing at somebody you're mad at. Mm -hmm. And you fight this internally and overcome it. But that's not, I mean, that's, it's good. You can use your self-control there, but that's not the key thing. What the successful people do is they use their self-control to break bad habits and establish good habits. Now, Habitual actions don't take willpower. That's sort of the beauty of it. It's yes. like a physical skill. So if you can develop a skill or a habit, then life proceeds automatically without a big drain on it. I like to use the example of taking up an exercise program. Most people know they should exercise and, and many people don't. But you have to, if you set it up as a habit and use your willpower to establish every day you do it. I'm at an age now where they say I, I shouldn't really exercise every day, but... Who's but telling it's you that? better to have the habit. Oh, who's who's um, telling you shouldn't exercise every day? Or you should do different things or, or yeah. whatever. I mean, it's, it's not that you should never exercise, but it takes more than 24 hours for the muscles to recover. So you should exercise on alternate days or something like that. But for me, I get to a point in the middle of or late afternoon when I've reached 
I've done my work for the day and I just know I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to get on the treadmill, run a mile or two and, and do some walking and so on. And with that a habit, I don't have to struggle. I don't have to use willpower mm-hmm. to make myself do it. You know, when you're starting exercise program, you need to use willpower. You need to tell yourself, come on, today's the day. I got to get out there, find my shoes, do these things. And that continues for the first few days. But again, once it becomes a habit, so you just automatically do it, then it's much less of a struggle. So to me, that's that's one of the important pieces of wisdom that emerged from this line of research. Use your self-control, use your willpower to establish good habits and routines so that life can run smoothly on automatic pilot. Well, I agree totally with you. I mean, I mean, Aristotle put it so well. He said, we're all creatures of habit. We make our habits and then our habits make us. And, you know, I see so often with patients who, you know, want to adopt a healthier lifestyle, a big challenge for them is building a new habit. And, and often people will say, you know, I just don't have the willpower. But I say, look, it's all about starting. It's all about progress and persisting with something like an exercise program, even just a few minutes each day, build it as a habit. And after a few months, you don't really think about it. As you said, you, you do it automatically. And I think yes. that's really one of the that great, great keys. You're so right. Yes. And the same thing with taking vitamins or uh, mm-hmm. getting up in the morning or flossing your teeth or all the other uh, good things that we know we should do regularly, but that people often neglect. If it becomes a habit, it's much easier to continue. So apart from building habits, which I think is a really, really important, have you any other suggestions as to how somebody listening might be able to strengthen their self-control and support their willpower? Yes. Well, we find, among other things, that, mm-hmm. that self-control works like a muscle. So as I've said, after you've used it, like a muscle gets tired, then you're not as good at it. But also like a muscle, it gets stronger with regular exercise. So if you use your self-control to try to accomplish new things, to make yourself better, I I get asked every year around New Year's because people make New Year's resolutions, which are notorious for failing. And I say, do you have any advice for making New Year's resolutions? The thing is, our research shows if you're applying your willpower in five different directions, you work on one, you're undermining your ability to work on the other. So you say, well, this year I'm going to read more books and I'll stop swearing in front of the children and I'm going to uh, take up jogging and uh, reduce smoking, all these others, make my bed every day. But each time you do work on one, you're taking away your ability to work on the others. Now, I don't like to tell people not to make resolutions because I believe in self-improvement. I think that's yes. a good approach to life. So what I say is in, don't do them all at once. Make the resolutions. That's what I'm going to work on this year. But then order them. Start with the easiest and do that first and succeed at it. Mm. So then you'll have a success. But also doing that will strengthen your muscle. So you you have a little bit better self-control when you tackle the next one. Things like quitting smoking are really difficult. You know, put those mm. put those to later. Actually, one of my former students, Mark Maraven, published some studies where he had people do these self-control exercises for a couple of weeks before they tried to quit smoking, and their success rate tripled. So just building up the willpower enables you to do these things better. So you can start with, again, with making your bed. That's something you can probably do. And again, that will strengthen your your willpower Mm -hmm. muscle so that after you've got it into a habit, 
to make your bed every day, then you're ready to move on to the next one. And I want to point out that continuing to do the same exercise doesn't do any good anymore after a while. Once it becomes a habit, you're not exercising your willpower. So yes, it might take willpower to get yourself to make your bed each morning, but don't think that that's going to continue to strengthen you as you continue to do it for year after year. It's making the change where you exert your willpower. That's what strengthens it. Uh, once it's a habit, it doesn't it doesn't do any more good. Another tip is to get enough sleep and to eat well. Yes. We found in our studies of people out in the world and their self-control, there was a surprisingly big reciprocal effect on self-control and sleep mm. that having a day that drains your willpower and taxes your self-control to the limits, that often leads to poor sleep that night. And reciprocally, poor sleep really makes you more vulnerable to feeling the next day that you don't have willpower, you can't control yourself, that things are too much for you. So it can be kind of a vicious circle uh, that goes around. I've certainly seen a lot of patients over the years who suffer from sleep deprivation, and it certainly impacts their you know, negatively impacts their stress levels. And I know people are more inclined to, you know, binge on carbs and, and, and crave sugar and so on, probably an effect of the stress. And, you know, I know myself, if I, if, if I missed out on, on a night's sleep, if I was traveling or whatever, I'd be far less able to exercise the next day or to be less inclined to eat more healthily. So I think that's a fascinating connection between, between sleep deprivation and willpower. Yes. And as you know, this is a problem throughout our society that the average number of hours people sleep uh, has been going down decade after decade in the past half century. Many people just routinely do not get enough sleep and then they get up and drug themselves awake with a big dose of coffee and I don't know what else. But that's not really, that's not really a good system. I've been fortunate that most of my adult life I could just sleep till I wake up, which people say, oh, if I ever did that, I'd never get out of bed. But that's just because they're behind on sleep. If, if you actually threw out your alarm clock, you might sleep a lot the first couple of days while you catch up. But pretty soon yes. you settle into sleeping about, about the amount that your, your body needs. You know, for me, this just if I need a little bit more sleep someday, I'm able to, to sleep a bit extra. Now, it's difficult for people who have to get up and get the children to school and be at the office at 8 o'clock or whatever. But you know, try, try going to bed early. Mm. Uh, getting enough sleep is really good for your body, good for your mind, good for your self-control, probably good for mm. marriage and relationships too. I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, I, you know, I, I believe in, in this idea of early to bed and early to rise makes a person healthier, wealthier and, and wiser. And I think being well today, it started last night with your commitment to a good night's sleep. And I think you've really articulated it so well there, just that connection between the sleep and, uh, and how you feel, think, act, and behave. Yes, that's important and not widely enough appreciated. So, I mean, our topic is self-control. Getting enough sleep is one of the ingredients. And, and food also when you're... Uh, yes, tell um, me about that. The connection between food and self-control. When you're depleted or it's pulling energy, it's again, seems to be tied into the body's energy supply. So in many of our studies, what we do is, you know, we have people do one self-control exercise to deplete their willpower or not in a control condition. And then we measure them again on a different self-control task a few minutes later. And we find if we give people something to eat, logically it should be in between, but since it takes a little while, we sometimes have them 
eat right beforehand. Diane Tice worked with me on many things. She came up with the procedure of mixing people a glass of lemonade because lemonade with a diet sweetener or with sugar tastes about the same. Yes. Uh, and people are glad to have it. Uh, we were working at Florida State for years, and so it was hot outside, and the students would come in and would be glad to have lemonade. You could be total double blind. The experimenter doesn't know. The research participant doesn't know which lemonade they got. But if it was sugar, it wiped out the depletion effect. Whereas if it was Splenda, then they they still showed that their willpower was, was depleted. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sensitive to the irony of using sugar to improve self-control, since a lot of people want to use self-control to resist sugar. It's not what we recommend for real life. If you need something in a a short thing, you've got a tough decision ahead, well, then go ahead. Or I sometimes would tell my students, yeah, maybe before the exam, drink a real Coke rather than a Diet Coke uh, to (laughs) get a little more energy in you. But in general, sugar is not that good. Good for you. We use it in the lab because we only have people in the lab for a short time. Yes. And it has a really fast effect, but it gives you a burst of energy and then and then you crash afterwards. But uh, you want to look for look for food that has a better glycemic index, you know, protein mm. or something like that, that your body can burn the fuel uh, yes. all afternoon. And that will keep you going better. My understanding is that it's important you know, to eat the, the whole grains and, and, and the nuts and seeds and, and fruit and veg, that that helps to keep your blood sugar more level. So you avoid that kind of yo-yo effect of sugary foods pushing up your blood sugar and then it crashing down and that the crashing down of your blood sugar can can really wreak havoc with your decision making as well. Do, would you agree with that? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I don't know strong evidence on that, but uh, the nutrition researchers have done a variety of, of studies mm. with restricting people's glucose or whatever. And they didn't have a theory for it when they were doing these. But yes, bad decisions were more likely, more wrong answers to questions. <laughs> My favorite was they had people looking at a computer that wasn't functioning quite right. It was programmed to to be difficult. And, and the measure was whether they actually took a swing at the computer. <laughs> but sure enough, people the low uh, blood glucose were more likely to <laughs> engage in physical violence against the equipment. I remember the first inkling I had of this, I wrote a book on evil some years ago. Yes. And I was reading accounts by gang members. And one of the gang members had this very insightful comment. He said, uh, he said I don't know why, but I just get the impression that the way we eat when we're in a gang, especially when we're having a battle with another gang, that that makes people grumpier. It turns out, you know, if you belong to a violent youth gang, you don't necessarily go home for a healthy dinner with lots of leafy green vegetables and protein and stuff. Instead, they they go to the fast food places and they eat these very high carbohydrate, sugary foods, which give them a quick burst of energy. But then they come down and he says, well, I just had the impression after the guys are doing this for two or three days or more that they just get very irritable. And, and grumpy and so on. So it was his impression, but I looked into it afterwards. And there have been studies done in prisons where prison food is usually lousy and it usually ha- resembles that, but they would replace and get a better diet with, again, green vegetables and healthy protein. And the, the disciplinary problems in the prison went way down. Interesting. So again, to me, that's a tie into self-control mm. that it's subjecting your body to the roller coaster of high fat, high sugar, I guess, fat is not as much the issue as the, the sugar and the high carbohydrate, the energy levels go up and down on their own, that that wreaks havoc on your decision making on your self control. That's fascinating. And you know, there's a lot of talk nowadays about, you know, the food you eat and the gut brain connection. And I suppose that's really highlighting, again, 
you know, that what we eat can really have a big impact on, on how we think, feel, act and behave. Yes, yes. I think, as you know, there's political pressures and so on in the nutrition food mm. research area and lobbies and so on. So you have to be a little careful there. Sleep research, I think, has much less politicization. And so the sleep thing is, is, is solider. What exactly it's good for you to eat? I know they keep changing the recommendations. What are your thoughts on mindfulness? Uh, you know, mindfulness and mindful practices, including spending time in nature, meditation. These are things I've, you know, I, re I recommend a lot and I've done a lot of research on. How do you see those habits impacting on self-control and willpower? Well, they're likely to have a good effect. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at all that research as, as closely. I know we do have some research on it, and I, I, I read some things. There are there are clearly positive effects. It it's sort of feels good to be out in nature in some ways that are hard to explain with our typical psychological theories. But, you know, we evolved under conditions where water and other nature things were, were appealing to see. And people remark the industrial parts that these really rich corporations build often mimic this sort of natural scenery with some lovely pools and fountains outside and trees and green spaces. So those are good. In terms of the mindfulness exercises itself, it's akin to meditation, which also has a lot of very positive effects that psychology does not fully understand yet. Mm. Keeping your awareness here in the immediate present seems to shut off a lot of the negativity and concerns and worries and anxieties about the future and so on. I hesitate to recommend it totally or unequivocally. We found that in terms of people's thoughts, the more they're focused on the immediate present, the happier they are at that moment, but also the less meaningful their thoughts were. And, and meaningful involvement ties you into the past and future. Yes. But it also brings in stresses and worries and, and other things. I think it's probably important to find a balance in life between yes. living in the immediate present and, and also respecting the future. Self-control is something very much future-oriented. It's one reason we're, we do better at self-control than the animals from whom we evolved. It's, we are much better able to understand the future, project, think about the future. This is something I've been doing research on the last few years. So importing the present into the future, I mean, importing the future into the present, into your decision-making, this is, this is good for self-control. One of my favorite findings is that addicts tend to be focused on the immediate present. There are those great studies by Warren Bickle. He asked students to complete a sentence. Oh, Bill woke up and began to think about the future. And they're supposed to make a little story. He wanted to see how far into the future does their story extend. The average was about five years for the college students. When he ran it with heroin addicts, it was two weeks. So... Wow. <laughs> that shed some insight into the mentality of the, the heroin thing. It's mm. very, never done it, obviously, but very compelling and very intense pleasure in the immediate present, uh, but at cost to your future. Cigarette addicts show similar patterns, although not quite as extreme as heroin, but it's the same thing. They don't count on the future as much because, you know, the future of a heavy cigarette user uh, has some very disturbing potential for illness and, and premature death, whereas, you know, the immediate effects of smoking cigarette are, are positive. So you have to sacrifice the present for the sake of the future. That's one of the key things that self-control is for. Yes. Interestingly, they found that ex-smokers who quit 
go back to looking like normal non-smokers. Yes. That they value the future and they, they count on it. And I think that's one thing you have to do in order to quit smoking. One scholar remarked, oh, when you're thinking of quitting, it's always rational to have one more cigarette because one cigarette's not going to kill you. Yes. And you get the pleasure and all the positive effects of it. And, and so it always makes sense to have one more, but it's the accumulation of all those choices that lead to the destructive results. So you have to project into the future and say, I'll really wish I did not smoke this, even this one cigarette just now, when I look back on it and then bring that back to the present and then deny yourself that pleasure. So that's another key to how how self-control works, using the future to guide the present. That's really brilliant. I mean, there's a technique that I'm familiar with called the best possible future self exercise, where you get somebody to, you know, imagine themselves maybe three or four years in the future and what their health will be like and their career and their relationships and and hobbies and, and sense of self-development and so on, and write about that. And what you're saying really is that can also support somebody's self-control. Yes, yes. You need to have that ideal, but you need to bring that into the present. And yes. If I'm going to be my ideal self three years from now, what does that mean that I do tomorrow? Brilliant. Yeah, but <laughs> well, I think that's a, I think that's well, a really, really great idea. And I think, I think so many people could benefit from that exercise. If there's any element of their life they'd hope to improve. Uh, yes, and I think most of us have elements in our lives we would like to improve in one way or another. So, uh, well, as I say, we're all, we're all works in progress. Life, <laughs> yes, the people who go through life just trying to improve a little bit, they often do the best. Hmm. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to torture myself. I don't have to feel guilty about past things. It's just let me try to be a little bit better tomorrow hmm. than I was yesterday. I think that's a great philosophy. And, uh, you know, I, I know from, from doing some research on you, Roy, that, that philosophy is something you had a big interest in, in in your earlier career. Yes, I had thought for a time of, of majoring in philosophy. And so I went to university to do math in school. I was, I was really good at math, but I had some glimpses of higher math and I thought, well, that's not for me. And it was the hippie days. So I thought, well, I know, I'll grapple with the big questions of life of religion and philosophy. And that comes and goes. This work on self-control, especially when we realize that making decisions uses up the same willpower energy that got us into the philosophical discussions about free will. Mm -hmm. I sort of realized, well, this, this is what people talk about. And the argument whether it deserves to be called free will is, is, is one I don't care much about. But yes, human action control is, is different from what the other animals do. We have more free will and the capacity for rational choice is, is a big part of it. The philosophical writings about free will use lots of examples of self-control and mm -hmm. also of rational decision-making. But they had no way of showing that these two were related. And it was our research we could show that, well, if you make yes. a lot of decisions, then your self-control is impaired and, and vice versa. So there is a, an underlying link between those two. I mean, I personally, I love, I love the Stoic philosophers and you know, people like Marcus Aurelius and, and, and Seneca. But I think really philosophy can teach us so much. And for me, asking questions, I think, is a great idea. The idea to keep asking, you know, how, how could you improve? How might you do something differently? How can you grow? How can you be more effective at, at what you do? I mean, not necessarily to have the answers, but to never stop asking the questions. Right. Never stop asking the questions. I was <laughs> about the unexamined life being less worth living. Yeah. Uh, it's been for me and my career just to wonder about basic things and uh, mm. try to look at things that we take for granted and, and 
question them and say, why do they have to be this way? That's also something that humans do that other animals don't. Animal societies remain pretty much the same over countless generations, but humans in general are always asking, why should it be this way? And maybe we should come up with a new system or a new institution. Join us for episode two of this interview with Roy Baumeister, where we explore the four to one ratio of positive to negative and how this correlates in relationships, sex, and arguments. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.